You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, help us to rest in your promises and have confidence in your faithfulness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I have some visual aids that I want to hold up. I don't know if you can see this. Can you see this? The lady with a, a bullhorn here? This is a photograph. These are two photographs. There's one, the lady with the bullhorn. And this one, I don't know if you can see it as well, as a man on the street. Can you see what he's doing? He's pointing his finger angrily at what appears to be his wife or some lady. These are photos taken by my friend Fatty Bukaram, who's a photographer from Lebanon. And we did an art project together. And uh, these have traveled around the United States, and now they're just sitting in my office. But they're related to what I wanted to say today. I wanted to prop them up down here, but I think they're going to fall. So just keep in mind the lady with the bullhorn who's at a protest and the man with his angry finger. Keep those images in in mind for this sermon, because I'll I'll refer to them. They demonstrate um, feelings and impulses common in all of us, that we, are, that we are right about certain things, and that people who violate our ethical positions deserve judgment. Uh, in other words, we feel a sense of, of righteousness. And righteousness, you can think of what it really means is rightness, that we have a, a sense of being right about something, and uh, that we want justice. I mean, just think of the the chance that the woman protesting with a bullhorn is from the, uh, if you remember several years ago, there was the, the garbage protests in uh, Beirut, Lebanon, because the trash was piling up. It was in the news. I mean, that is a, a, an image for our day. Uh, these kind of protests are common. Just think of the chance of no justice, no peace, you know. Um, w- the thing that we're right about, we want uh, justice for when it's been trampled upon. And this is both in the political sphere, in society, and also in our personal lives, in the personal arena, as, as you see with the man with the pointed finger. We saw this last week with the, the protesters in Paris. Did you see the news about that? The, the yellow jackets. There was this large, these riots, basically, at the Arc de Triomphe. Uh, many people injured and arrested. Thankfully, so far, no news about anybody uh, dying. Or uh, in a more sort of banal way, maybe you saw the news, the lady who handcuffed herself to the headquarters at the Twitter office in Manhattan because she's been banned for life by Twitter uh, because of some, some really bad things that she's probably put on Twitter. Uh, and demanding her rights to, to be on Twitter, you know, how dare they take this away from me? I mean, that's a lot like the lady with the bullhorn and, and the photo that I showed you. Or in the personal realm, we express righteousness and, and, demand, uh, and demand justice as well, uh, whether that's in sibling rivalry or workplace tensions or marital conflict, just like the man with the, the pointed finger. You know, you might think of the sort of the perennial, you know, raised and shaken fist about the things that are just not going our way. We have our own, all of us, we have our own versions of this. We all have our own versions of these things. You know, what has it been for you recently? How do you feel right about something and are digging your heels in the ground? What kind of justice do you want to see? 
How are you frustrated and angry because people don't seem to see your position about that thing that you're right about? And justice seems to be an impossibility, or at least it's never exactly the way that you think it ought to go. And look, I feel you if, you, if you feel this way. You might not know this based on my um, laid-back Californian vibe that I give off, but my besetting sin is anger. It really is. You know, uh, just, because just like you, my outsides don't match my insides. You know, that, that deep inside, there's an inner bullhorn. You know, down here, below the surface... Is a, is a finger pointed of accusation. You know, I, uh, before this, drove here like you did too. And there were people making angry gestures at me, and, you know, I wanted to make angry gestures back at them. Um, and so I feel you uh, in that sense of, of righteousness and demanding justice. Now, in the Old Testament, for a very uh, significant period of time, the people of Judah had the same feeling and impulses that, that I'm describing about righteousness and demand for justice, that things were not right. Actually, they were going terribly wrong for them, and they demanded justice. Uh, just to give you the, the, the history about this, because I think it is important to understand the context. I'm not always sure people clearly know what we're talking about when we talk about Judah. Uh, that uh, Judah was the, the southern kingdom of Israel after the united kingdom of Israel split, after the, um, the reign of Solomon, who was the son of David. Solomon's son, uh, Rehoboam, uh, was the king, and he had a conflict. I know this is confusing with a man named Jeroboam. <laughs> and uh, Israel was led by this man, Jeroboam, and they, they created a northern kingdom of Israel, and the capital was Samaria. You hear, you hear about the Samaritans in the New Testament? Because they're the descendants of the people from that region. And Judah, uh, whose capital would be Jerusalem, and the Davidic line carried on with the kings there in Jerusalem, were led by Rehoboam, and that became the southern kingdom. So there, are you tracking with me? There's a, there's a civil war, and there's north and south, basically. Uh, and and uh, Judah, which is, has two tribes, and Israel has ten of the tribes of Israel, they're uh, based out of uh, Jerusalem. And so uh, the books of First and Second Kings and the books of First and Second Chronicles are about these two kingdoms, if you read them. For many years they were in conflict, but more importantly, most of the kings of Israel and Judah led their respective nations astray. How did they lead them astray? Well, we were just going through Joshua, as you see, uh, idolatry was the, uh, the big problem uh, in the Old Testament of depending on foreign gods, and not just foreign gods, but the strength of other nations. And all of this upsets God, and he allows their kingdoms to fall and to be destroyed because of what they're doing. First, Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians, and then Jerusalem is destroyed, and Judah is taken into captivity by Babylon. And these two nations are roughly about where Iraq is presently today, and maybe into parts of Syria and Turkey. These two nations that, that destroy the northern and southern kingdom. And so uh, some people, after the destruction of uh, Jerusalem, they, they're allowed to remain in Judah, but the king and most of the people who are the ruling classes are taken away from their home 
uh, in, into Babylon. And they're humiliated, and they feel hopeless uh, about this situation. To get a taste of how the people of Judah felt at this time, you have to read no further than to read the famous Psalm 137, which you know because Bob Marley wrote it. No, he didn't. But he wrote a song that, by the rivers of Babylon, uh, right, that, that cites Psalm 137, but he doesn't cite, uh, conveniently, the last three verses, which are some of the uh, most angry verses in the Bible. And this psalm is expressing those feelings of righteousness and the demand uh, for justice because of what's happening to them, and the, they're mourning the loss of Jerusalem, which is also referred to as Zion, Zion is referring to Jerusalem, their hometown that's been destroyed. And so in this song, they assert their righteousness and they demand justice about uh, what's going on. I'm just going to read it to you. If you want to find it in your Bible, you can, but I'll read it to you. This is Psalm 137. It goes like this. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept. When we remembered Zion, on the willows there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us, of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And here is where the demand for justice comes in. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Do you see the, the assertion of righteousness and, and the demand for justice for what's happened to, happened to them at the hands of the Babylonians? It's during this time in history that the prophet Jeremiah had his career in the midst of all this. And we're just for the season of Advent, the season of anticipation leading up to Christmas, we're looking for three Sundays at three different prophets because they're helpful to read during uh, this season. Um, and so today we're looking just at one passage from Jeremiah. The first 28 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, I'm painting broad strokes right now, but the first 28 chapters are largely material uh, that pronounce God's judgment on Judah. On Judah, remember, where the, the, the capital is Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. And it also warns them of the upcoming destruction of Jerusalem and the captivity that uh, will happen. But the book of Jeremiah is basically a collection of prophecies that span the whole life of Jeremiah's, uh, uh, of Jeremiah's career. So it spans the decades before the destruction of Jerusalem, as we see in the first 28 chapters, and then it spans into the captivity, speaking to the captives, the very people who are singing songs like Psalm 137. And so beginning in chapter 29, there's a switch towards addressing not those who would face captivity, 
but to those who are now in captivity. Are you following me? Chapter 29 is a famous letter where Jeremiah writes to those in captivity. But chapters 28 through 33, and we're in chapter 33 today, after all that doom and gloom in the first 28 chapters, these chapters provide a breath of fresh air, of a message of hope to the people who are in captivity. Uh, they provide messages of hope for, uh, with God's promises for them about the future, that things will change, that things will get better. When all seemed hopeless, lost, and uh, literally destroyed, the people of Judah probably thought they were doomed to live in Babylon forever and to eventually lose their national identity, to never return to Jerusalem, their home. And they're questioning God's promises to them, chiefly through Abraham and David. What about those promises, the covenants that you made with us? It's in the middle of all this pain, in the middle of all that history, that God speaks to them through the prophet uh, Jeremiah. God speaks a word of reassurance to them. The same God who spoke accusations through Jeremiah in those uh, first 28 chapters now speaks comfort through the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what we have today with these three verses. Uh, Since it's so short, I'm just going to read it to you again. This is what it says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So the answer to all the emotions and impulses in Psalm 137 are met with these verses. God uh, will meet their desires for righteousness and uh, for justice. And the righteousness and justice will come in the form of a person, in an actual singular person. A king from the line of David will sit on the throne in Jerusalem again. This is the one that the people of Israel and Judah called the Messiah. And who is the king? Who is the Messiah? Of course, we know the answer now in retrospect that it's Jesus Christ. He not only brings justice, but he himself, as this passage explains, is righteousness. Righteousness is not uh, natural to people. It's just not. It's not in our sinful state, you and I, naturally do not have righteousness inside of us. It must be given to us. It must come from outside. And this is exactly the problem with all our cries. This is the problem with all our cries that assert righteousness on our own behalf and demand justice. All our claims to righteousness and demands for justice are incomplete without Jesus Christ. Full stop. All our assertions of righteousness on our own and demands for justice are incomplete without Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the coming King, the one that Jeremiah spoke of. He brings perfect justice, and he himself is ultimate righteousness. As Jeremiah says, the Lord is our righteousness, and so righteousness must be given to us. If the Lord's righteousness wasn't given to Judah and it isn't given to us, then we all actually find ourselves on the wrong side of God's justice. 
This is because, as the uh, Russian author and uh, one-time uh, prisoner in the gulags uh, in, in Siberia, named Alexander Solonichin, once famously said, the line separating good, good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, not between political parties either, but right through every human heart. The line separating good and evil passes right through every human heart. This means from God's perspective, every one of us is actually unrighteous on our own and therefore deserving of his perfect justice. I mean, think about all of this that I'm saying for you personally. You must recognize that from God's perspective, on your own, without Jesus Christ, you are just as bad as all the people who are on the other side of your bullhorn. You're just as bad from God's perspective without Jesus Christ as all the people on the other side of your angrily pointed finger. So just like Judah, ultimately you need God to give you true righteousness. A righteousness from the outside of yourself. This is what uh, theologians 500 years ago called alien righteousness. Alien righteousness. They weren't referring to Martians from outer space, but alien meaning coming from the outside. It can't come from within us. Someone has to give it to us. It's alien to us in the form of a person, a person that you must trust in, uh, in faith, so that when God sees you, he sees actually the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. He sees that alien righteousness and not the the evil that Solonichin describes. So I leave you with this final thought then. If you're demanding elected officials, government authorities, the court of public opinion, your gossip partners at work or among your friends, your social media or blog audiences, or whoever, whoever it is for you, if you're demanding these people exact justice, uh, the justice that you desire, and agree with you that you are right, all without Jesus Christ, or even if Jesus Christ is, is there but is a mere footnote to it, then you're barking up the wrong tree, and you will ultimately be left bankrupt. You will not only come up short from God's point of view, but you will be left eternally frustrated, eternally, perpetually angry. You will feel like things are forever incomplete. You will feel homeless like the people uh, of Judah and Babylon. And your theme song will be something like those final verses of Psalm 137 without any resolution. All if you, if you insist on these things without Jesus Christ. Instead, here I offer to you the place where you can find hope amidst all the hopelessness, amidst all the frustration, to put down your bullhorn to put down your angrily uh, pointed a finger, even if it's inside of your heart, you know, it's not a tangible item, but to put it down, to lay it down and realize that you are on the other side of God's accusation without Jesus Christ as well. Instead, put all that energy uh, of protest into, instead into trusting Jesus Christ and his true righteousness, and that all that angers you will one day uh, be dealt with and salt, that there is a future hope beyond the sort of Babylonian captivity of this present life. 
And that's exactly the the message of this season of Advent that we're now in for these four weeks leading up to Christmas. Advent, which is also the name of our church, means awaiting, awaiting uh, the promised arrival, something that's uh, to come that's great. One of the, the bulbs is burnt out, but did you ever notice these windows up here? That up there is the first Advent on, the, on your left over there, flanking the, the sides of the table. The first Advent, the coming of the baby Jesus Christ in the nativity. And then over here, the one that's burnt out, you can barely make it out, but look at it one day, is the promised coming of Christ on his throne as king. Coming again uh, with all righteousness of himself and the justice that you long for, that will be exacted. That is the uh, message of, of Advent. In that day, the things that anger you and frustrate you, uh, they will all be solved. At the very end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, if you read it, Jesus speaks like he speaks in the Gospels. If you have a red-letter version of the Bible, there are red letters in the book of Revelation. Jesus speaks through John in Revelation, and uh, most especially at the very end of the Bible. Revelation chapter 22, Jesus explains this. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the branch, the bright morning star, The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Thirsty for righteousness. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. And then skipping ahead, he says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And so I invite you to say together with me, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Go ahead, Amen, come Lord Jesus. Amen, come Lord Jesus. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.